I'll be reading John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. This is what Holy Scripture says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Therefore, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I have said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word this morning. As we celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. We pray this morning, even now, that you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to respond, and we pray, Holy Spirit, come, give us understanding. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had a friend really eager to introduce you to someone else? I'm sure you've experienced this before. You're at a party, maybe it's a Christmas party, and you had a really good friend come up to you and said something like, okay, I just, I I have to introduce you to someone special, and you're going to love this person. As you're walking over to meet this new person, you're probably thinking in your head, "Mm, I don't know about this, maybe not. But then you meet this person, and what happens is you actually actually really enjoy this person. You you enjoy spending time with him. You guys hit it off. So much so that, that you turn to your friend and you're like, okay, I don't even need my friend anymore. I don't need this person that's introduced us to one another. Um, I'm just going to enjoy some time with this new person. Well, this morning, I want to introduce you to someone. And in this case, I know that you will love him. His name is Jesus. I want to introduce you to Jesus this morning. Before I do that, though, before I uh, introduce you to Jesus, I want to bring you up to speed. The last few weeks, our church has been asking this one question. Why do we love Jesus? Why do we love Jesus? Pastor Paul showed us two weeks ago that we love Jesus because he is gentle and lowly of heart. We can go to him for anything. Last week, Pastor Steve showed us that we can love Jesus because he died for our sins. He gave his life as a ransom for us. And in John 1.1, as we're going to see here this morning, our text tells us that we should love Jesus 
because he is God. So over the last three weeks, you will have had Jesus' heart, Jesus' salvation, and this morning, Jesus' identity. Here's a text that we're looking at this morning, John 1.1. We already read it, but let me read it for us again. The beginning of the gospel begins here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Have you ever had a friend spoil uh, a, a, a movie that you've just been dying to see, spoil the ending of a movie? It's so frustrating when that happens, isn't it? I think we probably all have had that happen. Well, John actually does that with the Gospel of John. In fact, he does it twice, but it's actually very helpful. Trust me. Here's the first spoiler. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John writes this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Did you catch that? John wrote this gospel here so that you may believe in Jesus and that believe in Jesus, Jesus being God, and that by having belief in him, you would have eternal life. See, John wants you to have absolute clarity. He wants you to see who Jesus is. He wants you to know the true identity of Jesus and trust him as God. So that's the first spoiler. Here's the second spoiler that John calls our attention to. In John 1.14, John says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John says here that the word became flesh. You think about the entire storyline of the Bible. This is Jesus. John tells us that the word is Jesus. The word, as John calls him, is Jesus. So John's two really helpful spoilers are this. First, the purpose of this gospel is so that you would believe in Jesus. And second, John tells us that the word is Jesus. So this morning, I want to give you three compelling reasons why you should love Jesus. Three compelling reasons why you should love Jesus right here from John 1.1. The first one is this, love Jesus because he has always existed. Love Jesus because he has always existed. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. So the first thing we have to understand is, why does John refer to Jesus as the Word? This feels a little bit cryptic, doesn't it? What's he doing here? Well, have you ever heard the expression, he's a man of his word, or she's a woman of her word? It's important to be a man or woman of your word because your word represents you. We use words to communicate meaning, right? And in this sense, your word communicates who you are. Your word is a self-expression of who you are. And when you speak a word, in some sense, it's part of you. Think about this. It's frustrating when we're misunderstood in the workplace, isn't it? We really don't like to be misrepresented. Like when someone says something like, you know, or they're, they're telling people that you've said something that maybe you haven't really said, and we get frustrated. Why? Because your words represent you, and you're being misrepresented. Well, just as your words represent you, the word, as we see here in John 1.1, represents God. 
John is saying that Jesus is the perfect and fullest expression of God. He's the self-revelation of God. To see Jesus, for John, is to see God. But even more clarifying, I want you to look down at verse 18 in John chapter 1. Listen to what John says here. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So Jesus here, the, the only God, makes known God the Father. And Jesus makes known God the Father by his coming in the flesh. John's saying that Jesus is the perfect revelation of God, and so Jesus perfectly communicates God to us. John would say that if you want to know who the true God is, look long and hard at the Word. And if you want to know who the Word is, look long and hard at Jesus. Jesus perfectly conveys the thoughts of God to us. Jesus perfectly conveys the heart of God to us. To see Jesus, who is the Word, is to see God. So John refers to Jesus as the Word, but look now what he says about the Word. John declares that the Word has always existed. So our starting point as it relates to the Word is that phrase, in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. What's John saying here? John says that before the beginning of time, before all of creation, the word was there and the word existed. This is a startling claim. When John says that the word has always existed, he's making some pretty serious claims here, isn't he? First, he's claiming that the word is self-existent. To be self-existent is to have existence within yourself. You don't come from anything or anyone. You weren't created. Unlike us, right? Think about us for a moment. You and I, we were all created in our mother's wombs. But the word has being in himself. He does not derive his being from anyone or anything. No one gives him his being. He's just always been. Second, to say that the word has always existed, it's also to say that the word is self-sufficient. To be self-sufficient is to be able to maintain yourself without any outside help. If the word existed in the beginning, before everything that was created, then that means that the word does not rely on anyone or anything for help. He's always sustained Himself Again, that's not true with us, right? We're, that's not the case. We're dependent upon a million things. Water, breath, food, clothing, warmth, beds, roofs over our heads, jobs, the list goes on. But not so with the word. So when John says, in the beginning was the word, he means that the word has always existed, and he means that the word will always be. See, you and I conceive of things with a beginning and an end, and I think that's a part of being human. But the word, as John says, has no beginning because the word has always existed. And the word has no ending because the word is eternal and eternity lasts forever. It's like the opening scene of a really dramatic play. The curtains are pulled back and the main star of the show is just standing there ready to act. This is how John introduces us to the word. Now, 
something else is happening here in this verse, and things make a lot more sense if we can see it and hear it. The very first sentence of John's gospel calls our attention to Genesis 1, right? Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We hear that phrase, in the beginning, repeated here just as it is in the opening of the Bible. And what happens in Genesis 1? We're introduced to a God who is there. He is present before all of creation, before the heavens and the earth were made. God was there. So John intentionally uses this uh, refrain from Genesis 1 to tell us that just as is the case in Genesis 1, in the beginning, before all things, before all matter, all substance, before a molecule was present, John declares that the word was there. In the beginning was the word. When we think about all these things, the was there in our verse, it carries so much meaning, doesn't it? communicates being and self-existence. It communicates the very fact that the word pre-exists everything, just like God the Father pre-exists everything. John says that the word is simply there. He is eternal. He is absolute reality. And as we know, because the gospel tells us, tells us this, Jesus is the word. So loved ones, friend, love Jesus because he has always existed. The second reason why we should love Jesus is this. Love Jesus because he is distinct and unique. Love Jesus because he is distinct and unique. John 1.1 1, 1 again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was with God. So having asserted that the Word has always existed, John now draws a distinction between the Word and God the Father. The God there, that's the Father so in making this distinction, John clarifies the identity of the word. Again, that little preposition with, it's very revealing, isn't it? Let me show you what I mean. First, that with shows us that there's that distinction between the word and God the Father. So for John, while the word has always existed with God, the word, as John says, is not God the Father. The word is unique and distinct from God the Father. The word is not the Father, and the Father is not the word. So that with shows them to be different and separate from one another. Second, the with there in that verse also shows us that the word enjoys a unique relationship with the Father. The word and the, the, word and the Father are with one another. They're in proximity to one another. They're close. And this means, and this is really important for us to know and see and realize, that the word is coexisting with the Father. That means that they, they existed at the same time together. So God does not choose to reveal himself as the Father in one moment and then the, and then the Son or the Word in another moment. No, the Word, as John tells us, dwells together in close harmony with the Father. What happens here is we actually begin to see a little bit of a glimpse of the Trinity, the teaching that the God of the Bible consists in three distinct persons, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. One God, but three persons, all equal and unified, yet distinct, all eternally coexisting together. Now, just to be really clear with everyone here, we 
Uh, we don't see any mention of the Holy Spirit in our verse, so we don't see the entirety of the Trinity here in John 1.1. 1, 1. As you keep reading the book of John, though, things become abundantly clear. The God of the Bible consists in three distinct persons. As we focus back in on John 1, though, at the very least, John is taking the word and placing him in the same sphere as God the Father. So let's ask the question, why does he do this? Let's also ask the question, while the word is distinct and unique, is the word any less than God the Father? Or is the word like a a little God version of his big God Father? Well, John's going to clarify that for us in his next point that he's going to make. But for now, see this and know this, that John tells us while the word is God, the word is not God the Father. He is distinguishable. And in fact, he has a unique and distinct role. So now here another question emerges. He's unique and distinct. What is his unique and distinct role? What's he do? Well, again, we'll answer that, that question in a moment here. But love Jesus because he is unique and distinct. Third reason why we love Jesus is this. Love Jesus because he is fully God. Love Jesus because he is fully God. John 1.1 1, 1 again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So that little phrase, and the Word was God. At first pass, you might hear this verse and think, okay, hmm, was, I'm thinking back to my English grammar days in elementary school, was, I think that's past tense. Does that mean that in the beginning God the word was God, but, but now he's not God anymore or any longer? No. In fact, John's trying to clarify what he's been saying this whole time, that the word is God. See, he could have said, he could have said it this way, God was the word. But think about that. That would actually negate what he's said previously. Remember, remember remember what he said. The word was in the beginning and the word was with God. There's that distinction again. So we saw that there's two distinct figures here. The word and God the Father. So if he would have said God was the word, he would erase that distinction entirely that he's already made. So what is John doing here? What's he saying? Well, that phrase, the word was God, actually refers uh, to the first portion of our verse, in the beginning. At the beginning of time, John says, the word was there. The word was God. The word was always God, and the word existed with God the Father. John is saying that the word was always God from the beginning. The word was there. So in case we've totally misunderstood what John has been saying this entire time, he makes his point abundantly clear here. The word is God. This is how John begins the entire gospel, uh, and uh, this is the big point of our passage here. John's declaring the word to be fully God. And for the word to be fully God, let's think about what this means for a moment. Remember, we've been saying the word is fully God, the word is Jesus, the word is not a created being. He's always existed with God since the beginning. The word is not some mystical force. No, he's a, he's a personal being. If you keep reading uh, in the few, next few verses of John, the very fact that John uses the pronoun he here reveals that. It also means that the word is not another God among uh, an assembly of gods. He is God. He is the only God. 
The word's also not part divine and part something else. As John says, the word is not any lesser of a God. He is fully God. Just like God the Father is fully God. His role is unique and distinct. He is unique and distinct. But his divinity is the same. Think about this. All of the deity, all of the stuff that makes God God, all of the deity that belongs to the Trinity belongs to the Word. That's what John says here. So the Word is God, the Word is fully God, and the Word has always been fully God. So let's recap. Why do we love Jesus? Because the Word has always existed, because the Word is distinct and unique, because the Word is fully God. We've been saying all along that Jesus is the Word Jesus is God. The Word is God. And so, friends, I have to ask you, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Remember that spoiler that John gave us uh, from John 1.14? Let me read that again. If you have your Bible open, you, look, you can look down with me. John says this in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word, as John says, became a man. And friend, that's what we celebrate at Christmas. This is is Jesus. Christmas is about the birth of Jesus, the God who has always existed, put on flesh and revealed himself to us in human form. Christmas is about the birth of Jesus Christ. He gave us his son for us to touch and hold and who would one day go to the cross for us. He would one day go to the cross and die on the cross for our sins. In Colossians 1, the apostle declares that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In Colossians 2, he tells us that in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. This is why Jesus can say to the disciples in John 14, 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Why can Jesus make that, make that incredible claim? Because Jesus is the perfect self-expression of God. He's the word. He was the one who went to the cross and died for your sins and died for my sins. Do you remember that second spoiler? Let me take you all the way back to John 20, verse 31. I'll read it for you. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The whole reason why John wrote this gospel is so that you may have faith in Jesus, so that you may have confidence in Jesus and confidence in what he has done for you at the cross, and that by believing in him, you may have eternal life. So now we need to think about this. If John has written these things so that we may have life, that means that apart from Jesus, we are spiritually dead. And friend, that's exactly what the entire Bible declares, that apart from Jesus, we are spiritually dead because of our sins. We do not have spiritual life if we do not know and love Jesus The Apostle Paul would declare this in Ephesians 2, that you are dead in your trespasses and sins. This is why Jesus had to come, friend. This is why Jesus 
would go to the cross. This is what he did for us at the cross. You can recall the imagery of the cross. Jesus was brutally beaten and whipped and stripped naked and hung on a cross in your place. It should have been you there. It should have been me there. But it was Jesus there. By going to the cross, he took upon himself your sins, my sins. He died a death that you should have died, that I should have died. Yet he was the one who was punished for our sake. And as the perfect word, as God himself, he lived a life that you and I could never have lived. He was righteous in all of his ways. And the beauty of the gospel is this, friend, by placing your faith and trust in Jesus, God actually gives you his own righteousness. By faith in Christ, you gain the righteousness and the holiness of God himself. So when you place your faith and trust in Jesus and turn to him, Jesus takes your sins and he gives you his righteousness. That's the great exchange. But the thing is this, you have to turn to him. You have to repent of your sins, and you have to turn to him. Now, repentance is not a word that we hear often in our day and age. It just simply means to turn away from yourself, to turn away from your sin, and to turn to God. Think about this. If you have children, imagine your five-year-old child running into oncoming traffic, into danger. You would do everything you could within your power to reach your little child and to call out to your child and to call them to turn away from danger. This is exactly what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. He wants you to turn away from danger. He wants you to turn away from your sin and to turn to him. You know what happens when you do that? When you place your faith and trust in Jesus? He meets you there. He rescues you. He gives you a new heart and a new life, eternal life, with him that comes with everlasting joy. He takes your sins and he gives you his righteousness. I told you this morning that I was going to introduce you to someone. That someone was Jesus. Trust me, you will love him. You'll love him because he is God. But you'll also love him because he died on the cross for your sins so that you may have eternal life in him. As you continue to reflect upon Christmas and all the celebrations and the fun things that come with Christmas, may you reflect upon the incredible reality that God became a man and went to the cross and paid the penalty for your sins so that you may have eternal life in him. Love Jesus because he he has always existed. Love Jesus because he is distinct and unique. Love Jesus because he is fully God. Let me ask this question. How do you love Jesus? Loving Jesus begins first with believing in him. Do you? Let me pray for us. Father, we give you thanks this morning. We worship you, Lord Jesus, for coming in the flesh. You are God And you are king, and we thank you for the good news of the gospel, that we can have life in you. We don't have to clean ourselves up. We can just come to Jesus to repent of our sins and to call upon the name of the Lord, and through you we may have faith.
Oh God, grant us strength to do that for those of us who don't know you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.